Welcome to the official Substack of Brandon Ritchie Podcast and Blog. Today's date is December the 28th, 2023, and I hope you had a very Merry Christmas and are staring down a really good, strong beginning to your new year here in 2024. The title of today's episode is The Unbridgeable Dichotomy of the Human Condition. And in today's episode, I'm going to touch on three different highlights here. The first is, so what is the cause of younger generations falling behind in our society? The second is, what key dangerous belief system did Ayn Rand warn us about that is plaguing our society? And number three is, what psychological break concerning the nature of man can we learn from Edgar Allan Poe? Those are the three highlights I'll be getting into here in just a moment. Again, the title of today's episode is The Unbridgeable Dichotomy of the Human Condition. Okay, preface. Quote, Be the first to see what you see as you see it. Robert Bresson. The other day I shared a humorous meme that said Gen X, the only generation that became 30 at the age of 10 and still is 30 at the age of 50. <laughs> For my Gen Xers, I thought you might like that one. Uh, admittedly, this made me chuckle. And being a proud Gen Xer, I had to share this out with the rest of my community on social media. As an old friend used to tell me, the key to humor and storytelling is when it involves a touch of the familiar. As that relates to this meme I shared, I would say that all of us Gen Xers are familiar with that sentiment. If there's one thing that us Gen Xers understand, it's that we had to take on many adult responsibilities at a very young age, and that's just the way things were when we were kids. Sure, many of us enjoyed a relatively normal childhood, but even though we were taught responsibilities at a young age, this also allowed us on many occasions to experience having more true freedom in our lives at a very young age as well. This has no doubt been an issue as we enter into this modern day culture because Many people in my generation are realizing that many of the people in the generations that came up after us lack that knowledge of taking on responsibilities, and this is why we are seeing many members of younger generations starting to be a burden on society. Now, before you get angry and click off of this episode, slow down and digest what I just said. If you happen to be in a younger generation than Gen X, and the shoe doesn't fit you in terms of this description, then there's obviously no need for you to get offended. If the shoe doesn't fit, I'd assume you wouldn't find offense in the comment anyways. But then again, there's a lot of people in our culture these days that thrive off of the notion of being offended. In fact, many organizations and institutions have turned the entire sentiment of the victimhood mindset into a very profitable, although very destructive to society, business model. I've come to realize that in today's society, there's an unbridgeable gap between two diametrically opposed positions regarding the human condition in this current environment. As I alluded to in my quote about Gen X, the issue with where this unbridgeable divide began in our culture with a significantly greater number of individuals within these younger generations is due to the lack of discipline and structure. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of blame to go around for this in terms of the cause. I mean, I understand that I said the cause was a lack of discipline and structure, but the question of what caused the lack of discipline and structure still has to be asked. So what caused this lack of discipline and structure? The lack of discipline and structure is caused by a lack of discipline and structure. <laughs> I know that sounds funny, 
But if you take a moment to think about it, then it makes perfect sense. After all, bad ideas, bad ideology, bad habits are always passed down from one generation to the next. In many ways, bad ideas can take root and spread faster than good ideas. If you need your memory jogged on how fast bad ideas can spread, then all you have to do is look back at when the government said it would be two weeks to slow the spread of the pandemic, or how endless wars in foreign countries without congressional approval is in the interest of national security. Or what about the idea that becoming trade partners with a communist regime that wants to destroy us is in our best economic interest? The list of horrible ideas spreading like wildfire has been something that has proven to be a real pandemic in and of itself here in the United States for quite some time. So how does this trend of bad, destructive societal ideas continue to happen on repeat in the United States like a broken record that keeps playing the same horrible song over and over again? Well, one of those bad ideas serving to be a major catalyst for causing the lack of discipline and structure, more so than all the rest, is the acceptance of collectivism within our culture over the idea of individuality. Real quick, I want to interject here just to make a couple of announcements that I traditionally do here on the show just to give you, give you the lowdown in case you're a first-time visitor. And if you are a first-time visitor, welcome to this blog and podcast. Uh, and if you're wondering what this show is about or what this podcast is about, this blog uh, this Substack and podcast blog serves to be a map for helping you and those around you to be a zenith during chaotic times. And that term zenith means I want you at your peak, at your tip top, at your best. And this comes from my coaching background, having been in the fitness industry as a professional fitness coach and strength coach for over 20 years now. And this is something that is part of a mindset. It's part of the psychology of what I do. It's also uh, I, it also just happens to be that I'm a student of history and philosophy and culture, and I like to tie these things into this entire podcast and blog to demonstrate how these things funnel down to each of our lives as individuals and how you as an individual actually wield more power than you would think and that your agency and the choices you make, your understanding of your environment uh, in order to adapt and in order not only to adapt, but also to impact the environment for change so that we can direct and change our environment uh, to have a better, more freedom-first, freedom-loving society rather than the totalitarian collectivist society that we're, that we're sort of hurling towards. So that's the goal of this podcast and blog is to elevate that consciousness, that awareness of what's going on in the world our individual lives, how we can impact it, fight back, change this dynamic into a positive one. And that's the purpose here. So if you are tuning in for the first time, please make sure that you subscribe. You can subscribe at brandonritchie.substack.com. If you're already here on the site, scroll down below the fold. You'll see an opt-in box somewhere or as you're prompted, once you uh, do click in the URL there on your device, uh, you'll be prompted to log in. You can be a free subscriber and get updates anytime to your email when there's a new episode published. Uh, if you want to take it a step further and truly support an anti-administrative state media platform, a platform that's trying to change the culture and to impact society for a freedom-loving society, and you want to put that on steroids, you, be you can become a paid member as well. And you can do that for 
about an $80 membership, annual membership. Uh, I think I'm running about a 20% discount on that. You should see one of the buttons there below the fold as well. And that averages out to being uh, about a cup of coffee per month uh, cost to you. I uh, don't want to try to break the bank because I know inflation's horrible and running rampant. And that's part of this environment that I'm trying to bring understanding to. But if you want to help to support this show, then uh, it's a big deal to me if you do that. It enables me to circumvent uh, the suppression that I'm getting, the censorship I'm getting on many of the big tech oligarchs, uh, social media platforms. So you can do that. Also, you can listen on alternative pi- uh, platforms, rather, on Spotify, Apple Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast. So I'm on a number of platforms for distribution in those uh, on those uh, places as well. If you are there on Apple or Spotify, make sure that you give me a follow. Make sure that you do a written review. Give it a five-star rating, particularly on Spotify. I think I'm up to about a 25 five-star rating. Not too bad for zero advertisement. So uh, if you would want to help push that forward, please get those ratings up there. Be a force multiplier. Share the show links. Share to your family, friends. Share to your coworkers. Share, 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 share. So your action is very much needed and very much appreciated. So on that note, we're going to get back to business here. Heading collectivism versus individuality. I and Ron warned us about collectivism, but if you're not familiar with that term, then what does that word collectivism mean? Collectivism is the position and practice that involves the belief that the group should have priority over all individuals that are in the group. In such instances, many who subscribe to collectivism will often use the phrase, it's for the greater good, in order to subvert the rights of individuals in exchange for ceding over more control to the group, which is also known as the state. Uh, Collectivism is opposite of individuality, where the creation of the United States was founded on protecting the world's smallest minority being the individual. That's right. The founders of the United States set up the country around the central tenet being the protection of the individual, which boils down to individual rights, which consist of rules that the government, also known as the collective, should not be allowed to violate or break. However, in this current societal dilemma we find ourselves in, the communists have infiltrated our government from top to bottom, and the communists do not care about the individual, you, because their entire belief system is centered on the collective. Therefore, they want to destroy the individual and erase civil liberties so the collective can be established as the ruling overseeing authority of society. This gap between collectivism and individuality is an unbridgeable gap that will serve as the dichotomy of the human condition. The only question left to ask is that how will this dichotomy resolve itself in the context of our society and the way we live our and the way we live moving forward? You might not like hearing this, but the reality is that this situation will only be be able to resolve itself with a great conflict. Now, when I say the word conflict, am I referring to a kinetic war? Perhaps, but I hope that this isn't the case because the process of politics is supposed to allow for the necessary platform for grievances to be settled peacefully between different groups of people without having to resort to violence through war and conflict. 
That's the entire point of people running for office, campaigning, and holding elections. However, there have been many times throughout history when this political process has failed because some groups of people won't adhere to the laws and agreements set forth by society and would rather make an attempt to force their will upon other groups of people. Unless you've been sleepwalking during the past eight years, then you would know that the establishment order of our federal government, as well as many state governments, have been literally forcing their will upon the people instead of the government submitting to the will of the people. In America, the communists have tried to flip this model of the government submitting to the, to the people on its head, where now the people are expected to, to submit to the will of the government. If you don't believe me, just take a look at the most recent and blatant ignoring of the law and constitution with this latest ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court to keep President Donald Trump off of the ballot. In this blatant and idiotic ruling by the Colorado Supreme Court, base their ruling off of the 14th Amendment, which disqualifies insurrectionists from office. Mind you, this ruling is based off of a crime that Trump hasn't even been convicted of and doesn't exist. Source, CNN. They essentially have based their decision on a crime that a citizen did not commit. Slow down one more time and digest that last statement. Furthermore, if the political optics aren't bad enough for this, then forget about that and put that aside for a moment. What's worse than this is that they are setting a dangerous precedent that they can determine election outcomes by not allowing certain people's names to be printed on the ballots. This simply means that they no longer respect or fear the will of the people to make the choice of the candidate that they prefer to be in office. Instead, these government officials would rather make that decision for the people, and by the very definition, this is what is known as tyranny, and we're seeing it play out right in front of us here in real time. Looking at this arena I've named Thunderdome over the past eight years or so, I've often found myself getting irritated with people who criticize Donald Trump's approach to social media and his handling of the media. I will often hear them say things like, I wish he would just keep his mouth shut and just do his job, or he should act more presidential. When people say those things, I will often hear the thought go through my head saying to those people, what world do you think we are living in? Then the thought enters my mind where I'm thinking, how else is a man in his position of power supposed to fight a media that drives a narrative of complete lies? How else is one supposed to act towards an entire apparatus that is literally, literally trying to destroy him and his family? Furthermore, this same apparatus is normalizing even trying to kill him. In short, if you had to endure such attacks on your family, your livelihood, and your life, how would you respond? If you don't believe me, then you don't have to look any further than the recent Washington Post article written by a so-called leading conservative and psychologically deranged Robert Kagan in this article comparing Donald Trump to Julius Caesar. In this article, Kagan writes, quote, Like Caesar, Trump wields a clout that transcends the laws and institutions of government based on the unswerving personal loyalty of his army of followers, end quote. In case you need to be reminded of a bit of history, the Ides of March is the date that is often referenced in remembrance of the assassination of Julius Caesar. Because of this, Kagan's comparison of Trump to Caesar is an intentional one 
and feeds a narrative for the normalization of assassination. Otherwise, why make this specific reference? Furthermore, those like Kagan who are psychologically broken and infected by Trump Trump derangement syndrome, TDS, have been normalizing this comparison of Trump to Caesar for quite some time. Another example of this could be seen back in 2017 when the Shakespearean New York play showcased a Caesar character on stage that looked like Donald Trump. At one point during the play, this Trump character, like Caesar, was assassinated on stage by a group of senators by way of stabbing. The scene caused so much outrage that key sponsors of the show like Bank of America and Delta Airlines pulled their funding from the show. Source, The Guardian. For crying out loud, these people manufactured evidence with a steel dossier to try to put Trump away and then falsely, under no authenticated and substantiated evidence, impeached him twice. Then as if that's not enough, with Donald Trump merely being a threat to return to office and not actually holding the office of president, they have been relentless in trying to destroy him, his family, and imprison all of his political cabinet members the way communist third world countries do. Yet, I hear people criticize a man by how he speaks and what he tweets on social media. To me, this is incredibly short-sighted ignorance regarding the environment that those people are failing to recognize that they are currently living in. You may ask, what environment would that be, Brandon? To this, I would reply, we are literally at war with communists, my friend. Heading, E Pluribus Unum. The Latin phrase, E Pluribus Unum, translates into, out of many, one. This was one of the key phrases that was originally adopted by the United States and came from the concept involving the original 13 colonies that would emerge as a single unified nation. The phrase, This phrase can also be seen on the scroll and clenched by the eagle's beak on the great seal of the United States. I wanted to bring up this phrase, e pluribus unum, and its original context and meaning to illustrate a larger point concerning our current modern-day dilemma. Out of many, one was originally illustrating the unity of the United States as a nation. Obviously, that unity is demonstrated in the country's name, the United States of America. However, now the communist fascists that have infiltrated all of our major institutions of media, universities, and within the walls of Congress are desperately trying to alter this original context and meaning of out of many, one. In their own context, they want out of many, one, to exemplify out of many individual states came one centralized dominant overseeing authority that serves as central control, which is also known as the federal government. They are always redefining words and phrases to suit their agendas in constant Orwellian fashion. But more importantly, they want to continue to control others and justify their own bad decisions and actions as they project their own actions and bad ideas onto others. To illustrate such a psychological break concerning the nature of man, you can get a real feel of this in the horrifying short story titled The Tell-Tale Heart that was written by Edgar Allan Poe in January of 1843. Source, The Tell-Tale Heart. I'm going to summarize that story for you here. In this short story, Poe writes about the experience of a madman that begins to the storytelling, the story telling you he has not lost control of his mind, but rather makes the case to himself as he tries to make to you, the reader, 
that his alleged illness has only made his mind, senses, and feelings more powerful. As he continues, he starts to describe how his sense of hearing has become even more powerful to the point that he could hear the sounds coming from both heaven and hell. Then he goes on to describe to you how well his hearing is and how correct he is in regards to his health of his mind. From here, the man talks about how it's unclear to him in regards to how a certain idea first entered his mind. He's clearly referring to some sort of act he committed and is reflecting on that moment with you and I, the readers. He continues to talk about how he did not hate the old man and that there was no reason for what he did. He then admits that he even loved the guy. He admits the old man never hurt him and never expressed any desire towards his money. He then points to the issue of the matter being caused by the old man's eye. He refers to the old man's eye like it was the eye of a vulture, because the eye of a vulture is a terrible eye that watches and waits while an animal dies, only to then fall on the body of the animal to tear it to pieces in order to eat it. The man claims to have felt a cold chill run down his spine every single time he would look at him with that eye, and because of this, it made his blood run cold. This meant he finally had decided that he had to kill the man in order to close that eye forever. Then he goes on to ask, So you think that I am mad? According to the man, a madman cannot plan. Yet he talks about how all that week he was as warm and friendly towards the old man as he possibly could be. Then he escalates this activity by transitioning from talking about his actions during the day to then talking about his actions during the night. Every night at midnight, he would open the door to the old man's room. When the door was open wide enough, he'd put his hand in and then his head. He talked about how he would carry a light with him with a cloth covering the light so that no light would shine through. However, he would then carefully lift the cloth only a slight bit so that just enough light would shine through and it fell across that eye. He went on to say that he did this for seven straight nights every single night at midnight. After engaging in this activity, he would then talk about how he'd, how he'd greet the old man every morning with a warm, friendly voice, asking him how he slept. He'd talk about how the old man couldn't have guessed how he looked in on him as he slept. He then said that on the eighth night that the hands of the clock would move more quickly than his hands, which was a clear sign there was a level of anxiousness or possibly even excitement. Who knows? Regardless, according to him, the old man was lying there unaware that he was at the door. Then he said that suddenly the old man moved in his bed. He said you might think he became afraid, but he was not afraid. He talked about how dark it was and that he still opened the door, placing his hand in, then his head, still holding the covered light. Suddenly, the old man sat up in his bed and cried, Who's there? He said he stood there still, not moving for a whole hour. Apparently, he didn't hear the old man lie back down, which meant that he remained sitting up in his bed listening. Then he heard a slight cry of fear from the old man. Because of this, he points out that that moment that he knew that the old man knew he was there hiding in the dark. Then he removed the cloth from the light to allow it to hit the vulture eye he was talking about, and that eye was wide open, causing him to feel a rush of anger as the eye looked straight at him. He then immediately started referring to how his great sense of hearing was once again now hearing the literal beating of the old man's heart. He said he stood still, 
but the sound got louder and louder, making him believe the old man must have been in great fear for sure. As this noise grew louder to him, his own fear grew into anger towards the old man, and this caused him to rush the old man, screaming at him to die. He talked about smiling in this moment, knowing that the success of killing him to shut that eye was almost near. Finally, the beating would come to an end, and the old man was dead from suffocation. It was at this point that he described how careful he was to put the body where nobody could find it. As gruesome as it sounds, he talked about separating the body and placing the parts separately into different pieces underneath the floor. After removing the boards of the floor to hide the body, he then would carefully place the board back so that nobody could tell they were ever moved. As soon as he finished this task, he heard someone at the door as it was now 4 a.m. in the morning, but it was still dark. The neighbors had heard screams and had called for the police, and they were now there at the door. He asked the police to come inside and told the police that the screams had come from him due to having had a nightmare and that the old man was away to visit an old friend. He took the police through the whole house, telling them to search it and to search it well. As if playing a game with them, he led them into the old man's room and asked them to sit down and talk for a while. He even goes on to say that his calm and easy manner had the police believing his story. As a result, the police did sit and talk with him for a while, but this easy manner didn't last forever, as he would find that he started wishing that they would leave. He goes on to talk about how his head would hurt, and that there was a strange sound in his ears causing him to talk to them faster. Suddenly, he realized the sound wasn't in his ears, and now not just inside his head. He talked faster and louder, and as he did, the sound became louder. The sound was familiar, but it started to dominate the man's attention. He did not understand why the man did not leave as the sound continued to get louder and louder until he walked around, even pushing a chair across the room to try and make more noise to cover the sound. No matter what he did, the men still sat, talked, and smiled. How could they not hear what he was hearing? Then it occurred to him that they did hear, and he was certain that they were playing a game with him. Suddenly, he couldn't bear it any longer and pointed to the boards admitting to killing the man, but why would his heart not stop beating? Heading, the wrap-up. So you're probably wondering, Brandon, why did you go to the trouble of summarizing Edgar Allan Poe's dark short story titled The Tell-Tale Heart? I thought this story by Poe was an excellent vignette on illustrating the darkness of human nature and how people will rationalize and project their own evil at times onto others. In this story, the madman is rationalizing his desire to commit murder on an innocent man by blaming the man's eye and even comparing the eye to a vulture's eye as a vulture's eye is a terrible eye. This story by Poe also clearly illustrates a common problem that is plaguing today's society, and that problem is psychological projection. The madman is constantly talking about the evil eye and how he must kill the old man in order to close that evil eye forever. This is how he justifies the murder inside his own head. However, in his efforts to do so, he was overcome with anger in the moment of killing the man as he was driven by his own desire to both shut the man's eye and to forever silence the man's heart and calls for help. The madman's desire was to silence the noise inside his own head by killing the innocent old man. In this story, the key takeaway is how the madman justified murder to himself by projecting his own personal evil 
onto the innocent old man in the bedroom. To this, I have to pose the question of how is this any different than the Broadway play projecting their hate and desires of getting rid of Donald Trump in their own sick and twisted comparison of him to Julius Caesar. Furthermore, the same can be said about the projection coming from the twisted psychological musings of Robert Kagan and his hit piece on Donald Trump in that Washington Post article. For that matter, let's not forget the actual pathetic attempt of the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling to silence Trump by removing his name from the ballot. All of these examples are demonstrating how those psychologically twisted people will justify their own bad nature and evil onto others. Sure, nobody has committed actual murder yet, but the narratives that they are pushing certainly point to the acts of violence in their own words. Regardless of that, the one sure thing that these people suffer from, suffering from TDS have in common with Poe's madman in the telltale heart is that they are actively engaging to silence their own manufactured terrors inside their own heads caused by their own psychological breaks. I hope you enjoyed today's article podcast. If so, I hope you would choose to support this platform as part of the Patriot economy as well. Be an emissary of freedom and help to push this piece out to your friends, family, and co-workers. One way you can do this right now is by joining me and giving me a like here on Public SQ. This platform is directly tied to the support of a Freedom First movement by allowing you to line up your purchasing power with a business that share your values. In order for both you and me to influence and strengthen our society, we must not stay idle. So please make sure you hit the subscribe and share buttons here below. Spreading messages like this one is how we influence our culture, and I need your help in order to do it. Also, Listen to this episode here on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Pocket Cast. If you like this podcast and the message, please take a moment to give it a five-star rating on the Spotify platform. Also, to connect with me, make sure you join me here on Facebook, Getter, and now Substack social media called Notes. Stay strong, stay focused, stay active. Have a great day.